You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to pick right back up, if we can, in our series tonight and get right into the Word of the Lord. How many know there's nothing better than the Word of God? Amen. Nothing greater than the Word of God. And so we're going to jump right back into the Word of the Lord here tonight. And uh, on on Wednesday night, uh, we come in and thank you for the good spirit of worship and good spirit of prayer. But we do understand life and people's schedules, school, other things. So we come in and our focus on this night is generally uh, focusing in the Word of God, just walking through verse by verse expositorily and uh, letting the Word of God speak to us and apply itself to us. Sometimes we get a little excited, but most of the time we're just letting the Word do the work in our life, and we know that there is power in the Word, and uh, with or without our excitement, amen, it, it has power to change us. And we are going through a long series here in 1 Corinthians entitled The Wisdom of God, and we are in chapter 8 tonight. We're picking up at chapter 8. We just spent three weeks in chapter 7 alone, and it is my endeavor to uh, not spend that many weeks in one chapter, every chapter. But chapter 7 dealt with some very sensitive and and, uh, important topics, and so I felt like it merited us slowing down and taking some time. And it had a, a, a lot to cover, a lot to unfold there or unpack. And now we come to chapter number eight. And in the same context, Paul is in the same context, same vein, if you will, from chapter seven, but we're switching to a completely different subject. We're turning from the questions on marriage and sexual immorality and other practices. And now we are going to another hot topic, if you will, in the church of Corinth, but it's the same spirit. And that is when we were in chapter seven, Paul's uh, teaching, he said, I'm not trying to put restraint on you. I'm not trying to cast another burden on you, but I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to build you up. I'm trying to admonish you. And when we were talking about that in the last few weeks, we said that people who come in from from wherever, all walks of life, whether uh, literally what Paul was saying, whether they are, um, where's that verse? Find that verse where he says, I'm not trying to put a restraint on you. It's in chapter 7. Here we go. Here it is, verse 35. He said, I speak this for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely and that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. So Paul says, what I'm trying to do is I am trying to help you achieve your fullest in in the kingdom of God. I want you to reach your full potential. And Paul says, I'm not trying to restrain you. I'm not trying to put you in bondage. I'm not trying to burden you down. And so he's dealing with different things. He's talking to those that are married. He's talking to those that are single. He's talking to those that are single and want to be married and those that are married and want to be single. He's talking to those that are divorced. He's talking to those that are widowed. And he's saying, look, I'm trying to help you. And he elevates everybody. And he says, look, you are a part of the kingdom of God. You are just as valuable as anyone else. And so it's in this kind of uh, 
context that Paul is dealing with. Remember, he's been countercultural where he's elevating the status of those that are single in the church and say, look, you are just as valuable as someone that has a full household with a full family, that we're all in the body of Christ together. So now he's going to go with that same spirit into a totally different topic. And that topic is something that we don't, uh, we're, it's, it's probably foreign to our uh, uh, culture and concept here in the West, in, in a, a modern day uh, context, and that is food sacrifice to idols. And this was a huge thing in the city of Corinth uh, because it was almost an absolute custom for all the meats that were there. And the Jews that were there that would have been converted also would have had history and there would have been conflict there. And so Paul now is going to deal with it in the same manner. So while he is not now dealing with, he's dealing with a totally different topic, we're flowing in the same manner, in the same spirit from one topic to the next. And everybody said amen. 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 All right. So Brother Ryan is going to read for us tonight. And we're going to begin here in chapter 8, verse 1. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. All right. Now there's an important phrase that we're paying attention to here. It's translated into this English here. Now as touching things offered unto idols. If we go back to chapter 7, verse 1, he said, Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me. So he sets up in chapter 7, he lets us know that he was changing his discourse, not from just apostolic admonishments that he observed, but now he is directly answering questions and concerns that they had, that they had brought to him. So he entered chapter 7 with that. And now in chapter 8, he's dealing with the next thing. Now as touching things offered to idols. So he's letting us know that this is something that has come to him, whether they wrote to him, whether uh, in person it traveled to him. Uh, He is now answering that this is a big thing for them. And he does something interesting because he answers the question, which is a technical question, And he answers it not with a technical answer, but he answers it with a principle. This is is wisdom here. And the title of our series is The Wisdom of God. Paul had already established that uh, uh, we don't walk after the world's wisdom, but we walk in the wisdom of God. And so he's doing something that is so Christ-like, if you will. Because how many times did they, the Pharisees or the Sadducees come to uh, Christ and they try to entrap him with a question and the Lord cuts straight to the heart of the matter or circumvents the technical question and gets right to the spirit of the issue. And so Paul does that a little bit here as well. Now we have to ask this question, what is he talking about? Now is touching things offered unto idols, okay? What's he talking about? Things offered unto idols. Later on, we know that he's talking about food. We're going to see this later on in verse 4. He's going to address it again in chapter 10. He's going to talk about it elsewhere. 
this prohibition of eating food that is sacrificed to idols. Now, this is significant because not only is Paul talking about this, but Jesus Christ himself in Revelation chapter 2, I believe it is verse 14, and Revelation chapter 2, maybe verse 20. I don't know. You can check that if you're writing that down in your notes. But the Lord uh, talks about the seven churches, and in a couple of those, I think Sardis is one of them, he says, I have some things against you because you led people to eat uh, food sacrifice unto idols. What does this mean, food sacrifice unto idols? Well, we've already established historically that the Corinthian church, uh, or the Corinthian culture and people were very uh, pagan in their worship, and everything had an idol. There were idols for everything. And Corinth specifically had temples all around its city. And as we're talking about an economic situation here that is so pervasive that everyone offered uh, meat to the idols, the uh, temples, the idol temples, some of them, they tell us, literally became like the butcher shops. So if you had uh, livestock and you're going to uh, do anything with it, just like in the Old Testament, the, 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 the Hebrews would pay a tithe or whatever, they would come and they would offer all of their meats to the idols. They would take the whole animal, they would butcher it, uh, they would cook it, a portion of that meat would go to the priest, and then a portion would go back to you. Sometimes there was such a surplus, and you would either take that meat and you would consume it, or you could sell that meat in the marketplace. And so it was this massive economic time, especially around certain seasons, where everybody was bringing in, in things, and there was hordes of meat, and you could buy meat in the marketplace, and almost, you could probably guarantee in the marketplace in Corinth, most likely if you bought meat in the marketplace, it had previously been taken to the temple, sacrificed, butchered, partitioned off, and now you're selling leftover meat, but you're just buying it and you're just eating it. In fact, it was so pervasive, and this wasn't just unique to Corinth, it was everywhere that the Jewish people, a lot of times in the diaspora, when they would go out to other cities, that, that Jews uniquely would set up their own marketplaces to make sure that they weren't eating meats offered to idols. They would set up their own marketplace, and they would tell all of their other family and other Jews and those that followed God, be sure to buy your meat here so that you know that it's not uh, offered to idols. And of course, has anybody ever been to a glatt kosher deli or something like that? You go there and you eat glatt kosher. That means that it has uh, been prayed over and blessed by a rabbi prior to preparation where you could buy that stuff. And uh, not only was it kosher by the dietary laws, but it's also verified. It's not been offered to idols. That's where that historically comes, comes down uh, from, where they would set up their own places. So in Corinth, you had this great revival, and you had people who are uh, uh, going about their day. The temples almost, in some manners, 
the idol temples almost became uh, like special, uh, special event restaurants and special event gatherings. So you could, uh, there could be a wedding and you're going to go to the wedding and after the wedding there's a feast and you're going to eat the meat and of course that meat is going to be offered to idols. There would be uh, uh, special occasions. People would go and, and they would sit down wherever in Corinth and they would eat lunch. Uh, they'd meet somebody on a business deal. You sit down and eat lunch. The problem in Corinth is that if you were going to eat meat, most likely, probably, because of the way of the, the culture, all of the meat had been offered to an idol. And so this became a big contention in the church because you had people saying, oh, you can't do this, and other people saying, well, there's no such thing as any other God besides God. There's only one God. And so there is no God, so it doesn't matter. I can eat this whatever. Bless God, I can eat whatever I want to eat. And other people are saying, no, you can't eat that because it's been offered to idols. And then some people are saying, I can't eat this. And then other people who thought, well, that meat was offered to idols, and God saved me from, from eating meat offered to idols. But if they can eat it and it's okay for them, well, then maybe it's okay for me to eat it. And so people are now eating it, even though they know it's wrong to eat. And you had all of this confusion... It's no wonder why the question comes to Paul, what do we do about this? And so Paul says, okay, here's what we're going to answer. And here's his answer. What's his answer? He said, we know that we all have knowledge. Okay. We all have knowledge. We all have brains. We all have minds. And we all think what? We all think we are right. Anybody in here think you are right? Maybe I should ask this question. Is there anybody in here that thinks you are wrong? Thank you, Sister Mary, for being honest. And so here's what Paul's answer. He answers this technical question with a principle. Here's the principle. Knowledge puffeth up but charity edifieth. So this issue is a technical question, but this issue is a grave issue of division in the church. And so here you have people in the church that are arguing, and Paul, in the NASB, it says this, knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. I think that's a good, good phrase there. The ESV translates that last phrase, and the NIV translate it, uh, love puffs up, but, uh, or pride puffs up, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Builds up. Now, what's the difference? Well, the difference is this. Knowledge has an effect on me. My knowledge has an effect on me, but my love has an effect on others. So this is interesting that Paul throws this principle out when he's got people that are arguing over different things, and Paul doesn't totally seek. He does, he does give a clear answer but he establishes a more powerful principle. 
And that is this, that knowledge puffs me up. Knowledge only adds to my pride, but love, love seeks to build someone else. Love seeks to help someone else. Knowledge says, I am right. Have you ever gotten into an argument with your toddler? (laughs) Or your child? I'm not there yet. Or your teenager? And they are just determined that they are right, but you know you are right? There comes a point in the discourse where you have to realize, is it more important to be right? Or is the relationship here more important? Anybody know what I'm talking about here? And you have to make that determination. This is exactly what Paul is dealing with, all right? So he's established that. Let's read on. Let's see what he says. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. Ah, if any man thinks he knows, well, let's just say this. You know nothing yet as you ought to know. What's he saying? He's saying you have more to learn than you may realize. Whenever you are willing to step out on a limb based on what you know, you are setting yourself up for failure because you are not God. (laughs) And you can think you are as right as right is, but you don't know everything. So you could be wrong and not know it. But if you do the action based out of love, here it is. What's he saying a few chapters later? Love never fails. You want, you want to fail? Let your pride lead the way. You want to fail? Just think that you're the expert in the room and you open up your big mouth and start talking, thinking you know everything else. Nobody else around here knows anything else. But sooner or later, you're going to realize you don't know everything and there's always someone else that's smarter than you. But if you will choose to lead with love, it will never fail. You will never say, I did the wrong thing, when you lead with love. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. All right, so what's he letting them know? He's literally letting them know that pride may be blocking your view. Write that down. Pride may be blocking your view. Just because I see something, I think I know what it is. I know, have you ever got an argument with your wife? You just knew something was absolutely right. I know where I left it. I know where I put it, whatever. And you just, you're willing to die on that. And you're just absolutely right. And then all of a sudden you realize I was so wrong because there was something I forgot or there was something that I missed. Pride is blocking your view. Don't be elbowing your spouse right now. Pride is blocking your view. But love, love doesn't block the view. What love does is love leads with the, with the reality that I may not know everything. 
Love leads with the reality that what I do know isn't worth fighting over on what you're thinking because there's something more important. There may be another perspective. There may be something else, but, but this isn't really that big of a deal right now. It's going to be all right. And so let's lead with love. Let's lead with humility. Humility, amen, is something that we all need a little bit more of. Amen? Amen. We did our series, our topical series on Romans, the last half of Romans, where how many times did Paul, I think it was 16 times, no less, Paul talks about what it means to live a life of humility. And uh, in one of his strongest epistles, he's talking about humility, humility, humility. And here he is approaching a divisive issue with that same spirit Now, I think this is important for us to not only look going forward in Corinthians, but also in this concept for us to look going back. We are in the beginning of chapter 8, and we're coming out of the same spirit. But we ought to also handle 1 Corinthians chapter 7, not with our pride of our knowledge, but with love and with humility. Is that all right? So this principle is not just uh, important for setting us up going forward, but it's also important for us looking back. And what did Paul deal with in chapter 7? Well, he dealt with those that were single, those that were those widowed, those divorced, those that were married, in the situations that they are in. Paul didn't come in with them on pride saying, bless God, this is what the law says, this is where you must be. He did not come in with an iron fist. He was not wrecking the church. He comes in in a spirit of love and humility saying, look, God is able to make a path forward in the middle of your mess or your questions or your hiccups or your hangups. But the point is so that you can uh, thrive in the kingdom of God. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Amen. All right, let's read on. But if any man love God, yes, the same is known of him. The same is known of him. So, so if any man love God, the same is known of him. That means, you know, God uh, 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 love, your love literally, and this is stated other other places, but your love, your act of love literally is your proof of knowing God. You're not going to prove to anybody that you know God just because you've got all of the litigation right. What's going to prove to somebody that you know God is your love for them. Well, I thought I'd get more amens on that. Thank God for the truth. Are you thankful for the truth? I'm thankful for the truth. I'm thankful for the word of God. I mean, if it's in here, wow, it's true. But that doesn't mean that I take the truth like a sledgehammer and beat it over somebody's head. Because he says for us to preach the truth in love. Amen? So Paul doesn't walk to Ephesus and say, oh, look at you. Bunch of little John the Baptist disciples. You're so behind the times. That was so 20 years ago. You don't even know about Jesus. Who are you to tell anybody what they ought to do? Nobody's going to help me preach on Wednesday night. No, he doesn't come in that way. 
He doesn't say you missed the whole thing. You only got the first step right. He's not standing out there with signs protesting and a microphone. We used to go to church in Indianapolis, and it was downtown, and there was all kinds of interesting things. And there was this one guy who he just knew. He walked around the city with a cross, dragging a cross, and and, uh, he would stand out there with his little microphone and his little speaker on the street corner on the sidewalk, not on the church property, and he would preach to all of us going into the church about how wrong we were. Telling us, you know, I had a friend one time took a bullhorn, went into a neighborhood in the city and started preaching with the bullhorn. You're all going to hell. Just walking down the streets, you know, kind of thing. Well, you, you can't just go beat people with truth, but you've got to preach the truth in love. And this is what Paul is saying. All right. Is everybody okay? We need some caffeine coffee tonight. I don't know. Something, it's been a long week, hasn't it? Amen. All right, read on. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things. All right, so here it is. Yes. That are offered in sacrifice unto idols. Yes. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. All right. And that there is none other God but one. All right. So let's let's see what he said. As concerning the things which you're eating offered unto idols. So, so we know that there's meat offered unto idols. He said, we get this. He said, but we also know that there is no such thing as really any other God but God. God is God all by himself, right? There's only one God. There is no other God. So people build little idols, and they have these little idols, but these idols are just wood, and they're just stone, and they're just clay, and they're just whatever else. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't feel. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They do nothing. So we know that when people offer something unto idols, well, there is no supernatural power. There is no power that's working on that meat. And when I eat that meat... That meat was made by God. It was given to man for food and substance. And so I know there's only one God. So I know that ah, I can eat the meat. It doesn't matter because I don't believe in the idols. I only believe in one God. I understand that. Read on. For though there be that are called gods. Yes. Whether in heaven or in earth. All right. As there be gods many and lords many. Yes. But to us, there is but one God. Right. The father of whom are all things. Yes. And we in him. Yes. And one Lord Jesus Christ. Right. By whom are all things and we by him. All right. So here it is. There is one God. Amen. He says it elsewhere. There's one God and father of us all. Amen. Amen. So God, the father, when he's using that terminology there, there is but one God, the father of whom are all things. And we in him. All right. This is, this is that, uh, 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 God, um, God omniscient, God eternal, God absolute is become flesh and dwell among us. The miracle of godliness is God manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ, his son. God unknowable became knowable. So we interact with God. How? By the incarnation, by Jesus Christ, the savior, the revealed of God. Or please God that the fullness of the God had dwelleth in him bodily. This is, this, this is what we know. There's only one God. And so uh, our Lord Jesus Christ came down, died on a cross for our sins, and he said, we by him, whom are all things Jesus Christ, and we by him, we know God. Amen. Because God decided and determined that he would reveal himself to us 
in the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He said there's only one God. So, so what is it? I, it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter what they do with the meat. That's just a goat. That's just a bull. That's just whatever. I eat that, I bless it, and it is sanctified. Okay? All right? So we understand this. This is our knowledge. But if we're not careful, our pride, our knowledge is going to puff up, and it's going to cause problems. So go on and read on. Howbeit, there yes? is not in every man that knowledge. All right. For some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. Yes. And their conscience being weak is defiled. All right. So here's what he's saying. I understand this. I know this. I, I, meat is nothing, right? It's just meat. It doesn't matter. But there are some, especially those who grew up in this city, who grew up in this culture and this environment, and they know that meat is always offered to an idol. And when they eat that meat, just as they did previously, when they would gather for a feast, even in the Corinthian culture, they would, uh, they would start by pouring out uh, wine or strong drink, and they would do it as an offering unto a deity, and they would sort of bless the meal, sort of like we bless a meal when we sit down and we pray over it and we sanctify it. They had their own little uh, pagan rituals for, for how they did that, and they would, they would, they, it was their form of worship and reverence to this God. And so he says, someone that grew up in that environment, they're coming into the church, they're, they're coming in, they're giving their life to Jesus Christ, but in their mind, when they eat that meat, they are still eating meat uh, as a nod to this idol. He said, they are defiling their conscience. By conscience sake, they don't see this meat as just meat. They see it as belonging to an idol. Okay, go on. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Okay, so here he says, in verse 7 he said, their conscience being weak is defiled. They can't eat meat without knowing, okay, I'm doing something wrong here. Why? Because God saved them out of that. Christ delivered them from that, and so now they are being partakers again of something that God saved them from. But look at what he says in verse 8. Meat commendeth us not to God. What's he saying? He's saying what we eat in our diet doesn't change how God thinks about us. All right? So I don't eat a certain diet and all of a sudden says, man, well, they're really, they're better than me or they're, be they're better than other people or they're worse. He said, if I don't eat it, it doesn't do anything. He said, if I do eat it, it doesn't do anything. I'm, my, my relationship with God, and, and don't read too far into this, he's not saying that this does not absolve the sin of gluttony. Gluttony can still be a sin, okay? So he's not addressing that, but what he's saying is it doesn't matter if you eat it, you know, okay. God's not blessed or encouraged because you eat meat or you don't eat meat. How can I put this in 2023? You are not more spiritual if you're vegan or vegetarian or an all-out carnivore. It's your preference. It doesn't matter. 
right? Yeah. We, we, we don't do this. We don't, we don't say, you know, well, all vegans are having this place in heaven and all vegetarians this place and carnivores, you're not making it or, or vegans, you're not making it. No, 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 no. It doesn't do anything. Why? Because, because it's meat. It doesn't have any effect. All right, read on. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. All right, so here it is. He already talked about this and said, if you are, um, if you are trying to lead somebody else to preach, or, or preach, sorry. If you are trying to lead somebody else to eat, to do something that is sin in their life, he said their conscience is defiled. And in verse 9, take heed that your liberty, what, what's he talking about? Your right. You can eat the meat. What's Paul saying? Look, you can eat the meat. You're hungry. You're going through the market. You need some food. You buy a ham sandwich. Well, maybe that's not the right. I don't know. <laughs> you buy a turkey sandwich. I mean, he's already dealt with the issue. You buy a ham sandwich, whatever it is, you eat it. You're in a business transaction. It's lunch on the workplace, and somebody says, look, I brought a chicken. You sit down, and you eat it. It don't matter. You don't know anything. You're not making a deal. You just eat the food. It's fine. But if somebody stands up and says, here is my tenderloin offered to the idol, reserved for this special occasion, and now you eat it, he said, then you are knowingly, you're, you're going to cause somebody to stumble. Just because it's your right, and this is the key, verse 9 is the key, just because it's your right or your liberty, and everybody, Christian liberty is a big thing right now, right? I mean, it's always been a big thing. I can do whatever. It's my liberty. Just because it's your right or it's your liberty to do this in the kingdom of God, doesn't mean that you ought to do this if it causes a stumbling block in someone else. Okay? So when you say, well, this is my right, no one ought to be able to tell me what to do, Paul actually is saying, no, if your liberty is going to cause somebody weaker than you to stumble, and what do they mean by stumble? To be tripped up, to fall back into sin, then don't do it. Read on. Look at what he says here in verse 10. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, yes. sit at meat in the idol's temple, yes. shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? Okay, so now Paul puts a specific prohibition on this. He says, look, you buy meat in the market and you eat it, that's fine. Somebody has you over for, for dinner and, and they serve you some meat, you're eating it, that's fine. Whether it's offered to idols or, or who knows, you're not making a deal about it, that's not... You're not making it your thing. But if the idol temple is saying, we are having a feast, and you walk into the idol's temple, and you are knowingly eating something that someone else is offering to the idol, he said, people are going to see you. What are they supposed to think? What are the people that aren't even converted yet but know who you are? What are they supposed to think? What are they supposed to do here? And he says, if they see you, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered of idols? What are they going to say? Literally, this is what he says they're going to say. They're going to say, look, if he 
is supposed to be close to God and spiritual and is doing that, then I ought to be able to do that. But when they do it, they're not doing it in the, in the conscience of meat is just meat. They're doing it in the viewpoint of this is meat given unto idols. And if he can be saved in spiritual and participate in the economy of idols, well, then I ought to be able to participate in the things that God saved me from. And all of a sudden, their conscience is seared. It causes stumble. It causes them to stumble in a way that they ought not. Read verse 11. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. This is, what, this is how he's concluded. He said, look, you are leading someone else through, what's it say? Through thy knowledge. Is, am I in the book? Through thy, whose knowledge? Your knowledge. He's literally saying your knowledge, through your knowledge, because of the knowledge that you have that you can do this, but that knowledge did not take into consideration what somebody else was thinking. He said, through your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Read the next verse. But when ye sin, so against the brethren, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. When you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Now, what is he talking about here? He's talking about being an offense. He's talking about knowing that something in and of itself is not a sin. But when you know, you can say, well, I know it's not a sin. Bless God, it's not a sin. It's okay for me to do this. It's not a sin. But when you know that somebody else thinks it's a sin, and in their state, they're abstaining from it because they're trying to follow after God, and you come in with your knowledge, your big old arrogant knowledge, and you walk in and say, bless God, that's not a sin. We can do this. Then they do what you are telling them to do, but they're not doing it from the context that it's not a sin. They are doing it from the context that this sin doesn't matter. And so now they've lowered their standard that, well, it doesn't really matter. As long as I go back to church and I pray and I go back to church and I give, it doesn't really matter the things that, that, that used to be there. And, and I picked out this phrase. This phrase is so good out of the premier study Bible in the, uh, in the commentary on verse number nine. But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. And this is the phrase. And I, I, I would encourage you, if you want to write this down, this phrase is worth writing down. They simply said, Christian charity restricts Christian liberty. We are given liberties in Christ. And nothing, nothing can come against those Christian liberties. But one thing that is the trump card, that is the veto card on whether or not I can exercise the Christian liberties that God has for me, is Christian charity. Knowledge puffs up, but charity builds up. Charity edifies. Charity strengthens. And what Paul says is this. 
He said, your Christian liberty can be restricted by your Christian charity when you love someone else. Your liberty may cause someone to fall back into sin of their conscience. And this is so important because when you lead someone to do something they believe is a sin, this is what Paul says, when you lead someone to do something that they believe is a sin, he said, you sin against Christ because Christ died to set them free. So, Paul gives to us great latitude for personal convictions and differing convictions in our life. And he says, look, the, thing, the, the main thing about the church ought not to be arguing for one way or the other. It ought to be a deference that is underpinned by love. This is, I'm going to love you to your way to Christ. So just because you have liberty to say, I can do this, doesn't mean that you ought to do that. Because you could be technically right. And that was how the question came. Isn't it interesting? The question was, all right, who's right, Paul? We want to know who's right. Let's settle the argument. And Paul says, well, maybe you're all wrong. And the, the important thing isn't about who's right until you get the love factor. Being close to God. And actually, I know you're those of you arguing for Christian liberty said, well, yeah, actually, love is the power that can restrict Christian liberty. Love is the thing that says, no, I'm not going to do this because it's going to cause offense or it's, it's going to cause a stumbling block here to them. Just because I'm mature enough to handle it and I understand it, and yeah, there's nothing, it's just me, doesn't mean that I'm going to go, go do this. 1 Corinthians chapter number 20 and he illustrates this. I know we're jumping a chapter ahead, but go with me, if you will, to chapter, chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 20. Sorry, there is no chapter 20 if you were trying to turn there. He said, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Paul says, look, don't be a partaker of something that you know somebody else has sacrificed unto a devil. Don't sit down with somebody. Don't, don't fall into their, their ways. Someone's over there, whatever it is, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a wise example that won't offend anybody. Tree huggers. And maybe there's a tree hugger here. I don't mean any offense by this, but... Somebody that goes, I like to hike. I like to go out. I wasn't trying to be funny, but if that's funny, go ahead. You're at liberty to laugh. Um, I like to hike. I like to go out in nature. And it is, it is interesting. Every once in a while when you come up on someone who's being very quiet, who's just over there hugging a tree. And that's interesting. You know, well, out of the goodness and the kindness of my heart doesn't mean that I'm going to go over and hug a tree too. Does that make sense? I'm not going to go partake of that. No, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm blood-bought. I'm sanctified. I'm set apart. I, I know whom I have believed. I'm not going to be a partaker with somebody in the things that they are partakers in, right? right. Okay, let me break this down. My mind's going all kinds of places now. I'm going to help you out. Some people, I, I love out west. I love the southwest. I love 
Utah, Montana, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico. I love hiking around all those things. And I, I love the, the Pueblo style. I love the, I love the blankets. I love the architecture. I love the decor. I love all that stuff. And a lot of their styles, uh, their decor includes natural woods and, and feathers and all kinds of things. And I see people who go out and about and they'll go and they'll take things and they'll buy things and they'll bring it home into their house and they're decorating their house. And it's just sticks and feathers to them because they were on a vacation. They were out there. They, they stopped on the side of the road. They bought some good empanadas or whatever, and they picked up a few other things. And they brought it back, and they put it in their house with no clue what it was. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. But those things have pagan imagery to somebody else that is drumming up spirits and deities and all kinds of other things. And you just wanted to burn the incense because you thought it smelled good. You didn't realize that that was actually something else that, that it's all kinds of... So when you bring it into your house, it's, it's just a sick and a feather. It's just a color. It's just red and blue, and it's just whatever. But if somebody else walks into your house and they were saved out of all of that stuff, when they walk into their house, they're going to say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. What kind of house is this? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it was just a stick. It was just a feather. There's no power in it. There's nothing in it. God created it. But to someone else in their mind, this is something so much more. And Paul said, look, when they're offering, yeah, they're offering to idols. There's no idol. The idol's doing nothing. But what they're really doing is they're giving their soul unto devils. And he says, don't let you be a partaker with the things of of the devil while you are trying to live the things of God. Now, let me go to an un, 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 uh, uncommon topic here. This is why, and, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, critique on old timers who used to preach against going to places that served alcohol or going to the movie house. A lot of good old-fashioned preachers used to do that, and it wasn't just one as Pentecostals. It was all kinds of preachers. You go back and do your histories. Nazarene, the Methodist, the Baptist, you could go down the whole list of people. Christians didn't do this stuff. Now, we live in a different technological era. It's, it's, the day has changed. Back 100 years ago, if you wanted to be a partaker in certain things, you had to go to certain bookstores to buy certain publications. You had to go to certain places to get certain things and, 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 and to watch uh, inappropriate stuff. There were certain things that you had to pay and you would go in mass and you would go and watch. And so preachers back in the air came out of the holiness movement and they're trying to preach to people, be separate, be set apart. They, they weren't saying that everything in there was bad, but don't go down to the local speakeasy to get a steak. Right? So we live in a different world and a different age and a different air, but that was that same principle. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. Why? Because God saved a lot of people out of those places. God brought people out of those places. Now we live in a different day and age because now you, you can't, you can't go to the grocery store. I mean, alcohol is everywhere. You can't go to a place. If you say, I'm not going to go to a place that serves alcohol, well, you're, you're not going to go, you're not going to go hardly anywhere. Even, uh, White Castle, White Castle, White Castle, folks, serves alcohol. Did you know that? Now, they may not hear. It's state by state. But Indiana, I'll never forget, they're they're headquartered in Indiana. 
And uh, not all good things come from Indiana. And uh, <laughs> they started serving alcohol there. So, like, you could say, well, well, well I'm not, I'm not going to go any. Well, you're, you're probably not going to. You're not going to end up with anything. You're just going to have to eat whatever comes out of your garden. And now we live in a different technological age, whereas before, if you wanted to see inappropriate things that were broadcast, you had to go to a movie theater. Well, now that that broadcast could be in every home, it could be in every bedroom, and it could be on every phone that you see in the subway or wherever else walking around. And so the whole paradigm is shifted. We understand those things and we know those things. But what Paul was saying here was, look, don't let your, don't let your liberty become a stumbling block to someone else that is around you. And he answered the whole question. Go ahead, read verse 13, because this is the final verse, and we'll close with this. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, All right. I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, All right. lest I make my brother to offend. Now that is a very, very strong statement. Paul says... If meat, if me eating meat is going to cause someone to stumble, to fall, to trip up, he said, then I will in my life, I will eat no meat so I don't cause anyone to stumble. Now, folks, this is where Christianity has strayed so far. Because the Christian world today stands up and says, I got Christian liberty. Don't tell me what I can and can't do. And it is a spirit that has entered into the church. And there is not love one for another. And we're more, uh, we're more concerned about being right than we are being holy. More concerned about being right than we are being humble. And Paul says, look, I love to eat meat, but if my meat is going to cause you to offend, to be offended, and that old that word offend, by the way, just for clarification's sake, is not what offense means today. Offend means today. Everybody's offended today. That's not what it's talking about. That word offend, literally in, in the KJV, it means to cause to stumble, to trip somebody up, to put something in their path to make them stumble. So by offend... It's literally when someone sees me doing something that's my Christian liberty, but they think it's a sin, I'm now tripping them up because they're trying to figure out, wait a minute, he's a man of God, he's a child of God, and yet he's doing that? You mean I can do that? And so when they do it, they don't do it from the context of Christian liberty. They do it from the context as, well, maybe this is a sin that doesn't really matter. And so now they're living this duplicitous life because I'm sinning, but I'm still going to church, so I'm okay. And all of a sudden, they're in this problem. And Paul says, I had rather be a vegan than to offend somebody else. I know, Brandon, you're not ready to do that. You're not ready. You're not there yet. (laughs) Thank you for being on. I would struggle. Me who eats at Sugar Fire every Sunday. I would have a hard time with that. But isn't that the spirit of what Paul is saying? That I I ought to be more concerned about how I am treating my brother and sister in the body of Christ than I am about being right. Now, 
We ought to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. Paul's not letting up on that. He's not hitting the brake on that. He's not saying that there are no absolutes. He said, go all the way, but do not cause offense when you go. So, so, when, so when my wife and I traveled around and we preached, and I'm taking a little bit of time here. I know I'm waiting on the kids, but they're probably not going to come out. Hope they're still up there. Um, <laughs> you can stand. But when my wife and I used to travel around and preach, you know, when we got married, thank God, we exchanged vows, and in the exchanging of vows, we exchanged rings. And there were some people in some places that we preached for that really... They just, they couldn't, you know, some people, they just, they're not comfortable. Still, still places I preach. I hope they're not watching this broadcast tonight. But there's still places, states, districts, places where I go, when I go, that I take this off. Now, I let my wife know, <laughs> and I have to be careful, <laughs> because I'm not trying to hide anything. But some people have this, they have this really strong conviction. Now, I don't, you know, I think, I think I have Christian liberty because in the principle of when Paul admonishes the church and when the apostles admonished the church not to wear jewelry, it was not to bring attention to yourself, to be vain. And this ring is not intended to bring attention to me. It's actually intended to deflect attention. I'm already spoken for. Right? But for someone else, what does it matter? Is it really worth losing fellowship over? Over something like this? No. No. It's totally fine. It's okay. For someone else, it's it's this or it's that or, you know, you have to do this or you have to do... Is, is it worth arguing over and dividing over? Absolutely not. And be careful before you step up and say, bless God, they're so wrong. Look at them. Because you may not know everything. I may not know everything. But you know what is always right is when I lead with love. I love them. Love them. I love you. When you say, oh, I love you, brother and sister, I love you. Don't walk by and somebody say, well, look at them. They're not doing what we should do. We're, we're, we're more holy than them. No, lead with love. Don't look at somebody else. Look at them. They're sticking the mud. No, lead with love. This is the consensus. This is what Paul's trying to do. He's trying to edify the body, and he's trying to build one another up. If our convictions are tearing one another down, then maybe we ought to reevaluate our motives. Because my conviction ought never to tear somebody down. My conviction ought to build somebody else up. I, I, if Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, then who are we to condemn the world? Love the world. They're condemned already. And for goodness sakes, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe they're not there yet. That's all right. I'm not there yet either. <laughs> and until the Lord calls me home, I'm going to have to die every day like I've always done. And I'm going to have to walk in humility and I'm going to have to walk in love. 
Paul goes on in verse nine, in chapter 19, and the first thing he does is Paul starts out by literally surrendering his rights. Paul says, look, I give up my rights, and we're going to continue on this conversation, amen, in the weeks ahead. Are you thankful? Amen for the Word of God. Can we put our hands together and thank God for His Word?